0: So um, I'm here with with uh, with Paul Gilbert, um, gilded beard in old English, though there's not much of a gilded beard going on. You've just got that, that kind of distinguished white
1: bits. That, D- Dad's that I have got a well. bit of the ginger going on, well, as he? He, well, he did before he got he got to, to his, <laughs> his 80s. Yeah, There's yeah, yeah, so a little bit there. So look, let's just um, let's just
0: briefly mention how we got in contact. Both of you and I have got a. Uh, uh, a, a joint friend, Scott Laurie. Um, I'm not going to ask how you knew Scott, because there's probably some sordid story
1: there. <laughs> actually, through through friends and the gallery up here oh, at, okay. at Matakana, oh, awesome. when he was running the Vivian. Right. Oh, As, and, awesome. and, and, and actually, we met at a dinner party and we got talking about housing. And he was moved to tears because he grew up in a council flat in Glasgow in very deprived circumstances. and the the reforms bless her cotton socks of thatcher not everybody's favorite person oh, let me just let me just take a moment just to shudder yeah yeah okay i'm better now <laughs> she sold off a lot of council flats and scott's mum achieved home ownership as a result of that right and it was life-changing for the fortune of their family stepping from welfare dependence to the independence of home ownership and having a stake in in their community and some pride of place. Right. And so he then offered to help us out with the work that we were doing in the community housing sector. And so that's how we formed a relationship because he helped us with his amazing skill set around language and and how we describe what we're doing in the community housing sector in New Zealand.
0: Yeah, Scott's a a wordmeister at at, 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 the very minimum, is is an inspirational guy. And look, so I I was actually speaking to to Scott and um, both of us are lefty Guardian readers, so we always rant on the social ills of the world and all that kind of stuff. And we got onto the subject of housing and what prompted it was... um, for everybody listening now, we're just sat in the foyer of Matakana cinema and there's lots of local development going on and just recently they've started developing the, the grounds around the school. You've probably seen as you were driving in all on the left-hand side. Yep. Um, quite large sections, quite large expensive houses, no affordable housing, and a, quite a, a, a very dull housing development. And I, I just made a comment on this. on Well, somebody actually posted on the local social media group about the new development and um i actually went on and just posted a, a link to earth song in, in ranu over in auckland uh, for th- and i don't i'm not this isn't verbatim it might not be right but from, from my understanding it was it, it's sort of an example of high density housing but done around a done around a central community and it's done pretty well it's not perfect by any means but it's a great example of how things could be done And it was just really concerning listening to, you know, not a week goes by when you look on social media around here where people are either struggling to find somewhere to rent or struggling to find somewhere to buy. Uh, And certainly noticing what's happening with the housing market around here um, over the past um, 10 years probably. um, It's astronomical. And that's all very well for us that own land and houses and all that kind of stuff. But I'm also very aware that that's not representative of the whole of New Zealand. And so I, I was talking to Scott about this and I just put the idea, I said, you know, I'm, I'm a filmmaker, uh, documentary maker and all that type of thing and I thought, oh, there's a story here that needs to be told and and it's not the financial story, it's the human cost to all of this. Yeah. So Scott put us in touch and here we are. So uh, you were on your way up to Waitangi, I believe, so just tell me, and, and we agreed to meet here on, on the way up, so tell me what you're doing up there.
1: Well, it, um. It's, it's become one of those big, gnarly, complex, large-scale issues that we can't ignore anymore. Um, I sat last Friday with Mowana Dennis, who's the chief executive of Te Puia Marae, which is in Mangere Bridge in Auckland. And uh, he reminded me, because uh, he's taken now, I think, close to 500 households from homelessness off the streets and got them into secure homes in in the Auckland context through the marae there. And he was the first person to call it out in 2016, he used the C word and everyone was denying the C word was relevant and it was crisis. Now, the, the best we could get out of the government of the time, that was the national government at that stage, was they were calling it a housing challenge in 2016, up to 2016. and and he said to hell with that, this is a crisis because he was seeing it firsthand as an urban Māori marae. The first family that he took in in 2016 was a Pākehā family, uh, husband and wife with their five kids who were living in a car and they are now in a stable and secure home. And that programme really was a tipping point, I think, for the dawning of a realisation at the grassroots in society that we actually have a problem and that we're all part of this together because you've talked about high-end developments going on around the country it's not limited to Matakana where the private market's working very, very well it's functioning very well as a rationally economic engine but the rational thing to do as a property developer is to produce uh, properties that are large and of high value, not affordable housing And so if we're waiting for the market to fix this problem, that's going to be an awfully long time. That's not going to happen because it's not uh, a... If you're in a profit-making business, which the housing market, essentially, there are three main players in the market. There's the open market, which is your Barfoots and Thompsons and your, your Mike Greer homes and the people who buy land, develop land and build houses and then sell them or rent them. That market's actually functioning very effectively in a financial profit extractive kind of world where you maximise your capital investment based on the land value and to do that then what you do is you build mansions. You build four or five bedroom houses with two or three bathrooms because the underlying land value requires you to do that to get a return on your investment. That's not going to be the solution to our problem. The other big player is the government and they thankfully since 2016 and since the the, the magic of of realising we actually do have a housing crisis have um, realised they need to start producing more, let's call them state houses um, which is great and it's right and it's proper that they do that but the really big problem, and this is where the third player in the market plays such a critical role that's the community housing uh, providers, hapū, iwi Pacifica providers, churches, community groups and community housing providers who currently own and manage about 18,000 dwellings across the country. They're attacking what we call in this this space the intermediate market. Now there are about 150,000 households in New Zealand working households these are not people who are eligible for state support in terms of benefits these are working people working poor or low to moderate income households who are getting up every day going to work getting the kids to school and those hundred and fifty thousand households that's not people it's a lot more people that's that's family groups or we call a household it could be a family with their kids or it could be two older adults who've reached retirement they can't afford to rent or buy a house based on the definition of spending no more than a third of your total combined gross household income on your rent or your mortgage depending on whether you're a renter or whether you're trying to own your own home so we've got a a massive systemic problem in that space it's the it's a effectively it's an affordability crisis that we've got and the problem is that there's no affordable there's not insufficient affordable housing product being delivered into the market so you you hit on it when you Describe the situation and what you're observing here is lots of really quite high value, large scale housing happening all over the country because that delivers shareholders and companies a good profit margin. But it's not what we need as a nation if we're going to address this systemic problem and get affordable housing for people who need it.
0: One one phrase you just said just really resonated with me, which was the working poor. And you know, I, I, like Scott, you know, I I grew up in a reasonably deprived area of the UK in in Birmingham, around the Midlands, um, not in the same league as you know some of the Glasgow or Edinburgh tenement buildings, that type of thing, and the, I grew up in the Thatcher era, and um, and I watched communities. It was interesting because, like you said, it was liberating people who were aspiring to own their own home. And that was made possible. But I also, but as the years went by, you saw the social cost of that. And it's very easy to sit in in the house at your own, comfortably paying your mortgage, watching it appreciating value, and then think I'm all right, Jack. And it's 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 a it's a complete faux pas to think that people struggling or people struggling with housing or people who are homeless. Um, are either lazy or unemployed or Mm. looking for handouts. That's just not true. Because it's just not true. No, We're
1: we're living a lie, and and, and I think you've you've nailed it there, right? So I I have the pleasure uh, with my wife and and our son of owning our home as well. Mm. There's no housing crisis for people who own a house. Mm. Uh, We're laughing all the way to the bank because our houses are earning more than we are. Yeah, I I I think our our properties earn more than I have over the past... Yes, by a large margin. Exactly the same so I work in the charity sector so we're not well paid so my house has been earning way more than me for the last 20 years which is just ridiculous so what we're actually talking about but but we're all in this together Mm. and so I haven't answered your question about why why I'm going up to Waitangi but I'm going up there to hear and listen and observe and see what the iwi, hapu and Māori, tikanga Māori view of what's going on in the housing system is because I know uh, for example, from my meeting last week with um, with Hoodie um, down at Tepuya Marae that they are preparing a massive treaty claim directly targeting housing, which will go live in March and really address this issue from a Māori perspective. Because Māori are disproportionately impacted by this housing crisis because of their traditionally lower incomes and lower earning capacities, they're being marginalised as our Pacifica communities. And there's been an alarming decline in the levels. For example, one measure we might use to measure stability and security of community is how many Maori and Pacifica families own their homes. There's been an alarming decline in home ownership within within that that segment of our community, and nothing good comes from this.
0: No, and, and also, um, you know, it, it's almost the other thing, The other side of this as well is it's not just Maori and Pacifica. You know, it's. Um, you can get a a newly qualified parkier a couple in Auckland you know let's say for example one's a newly qualified nurse and one's a newly qualified school teacher or whatever and they just can't afford not only can they not afford to buy a house they're actually struggling to rent a house that's right and there's something fundamentally broken about that and As a society, to continue on thinking that's okay, we'll just end in a very slow and messy car crash.
1: Well, you're right, because what we've done, in effect, and it's not as if it was intentional, but there are... There's 30 years... Of contributing government policy settings that have um, ended up uh, in this train wreck, uh, chronic underinvestment in affordable houses is, is, is really one of the main root causes, and that began with the reforms of, 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 of neoliberal economics in the late 80s and early 90s. Yeah. That was um, global. That was global. Yeah, global. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so, what we've done is we, we, we've broken the social contract that says if you get up in the morning and go to work and get the kids to school and work hard, there'll be a place that's affordable for you to call home, a secure, stable place that you can call home. And so when you start to break those social contracts, social cohesion breaks down, community breaks down, and you start to see a whole range of unintended social ills emerge, which may not be directly in people's minds attributable to something as simple as housing but they are because you, you they, people don't have a stake anymore in their community uh other things start to fray and we're starting to see that happening here now with, with this divide and it's interesting because sometimes things aren't tangible
0: or palpable from 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 the cause okay there's not it's not com- completely uh, causation and and you know all that type of thing and uh, we don't have to just look at New Zealand we can look at the whole crazy last four years of American politics and the rise of, uh, of, of that and that can be just as equally attributed to vast swathes of working poor who have just been disenfranchised for decades and they come to the point where they think, well, what have I got to lose? I'll just try some, let's just vote for this guy. That's right. So, That's right. So, and, but, you know, you, you get into a point where I think not only in New Zealand, but probably in the UK or the US or Western Europe, um, the actual disposable income, income and quality of life, even for working families, is decreasing each year. Um, and it affects us all. You know, like you say, you know, we both own properties and we're both yeah. laughing all the way to the bank to a degree, yes, but only when you decide to cash that in, you can't do anything about well, also, it. Yeah, but also, we're,
1: we're, we're a part of this community and yeah. we're a part of this nation and we're in this together. And, and it's just a nonsense to think that we're, we're not all connected and that we don't need to work on this together. So I suppose I come today with a message of hope because there's some extraordinarily powerful and wonderful initiatives that have bubbled up from the grassroots all over the place. And here we are, you know, north of Auckland. And I mean, I give one example. For example, up at Kai, up in Kaitai, there's a trust up there called the Hekorawai Trust, run by a guy called Ricky Houghton. Now, Ricky is one of the legends of the industry. People love him, people hate him. He breaks rules. So, you know, um, he's not everybody's cup of tea. He probably drives the local council up there absolutely mental. But he gets stuff done. He has with his team uh, moved I think 500 houses which were otherwise going to be demolished and thanks to the government they've, they've been giving him the houses. So this is Koenga Ora, which is the, the, the agency of the government which is mm-hmm. responsible for housing now. They've been giving him the houses that they would otherwise be demolishing as they redevelopment uh, do the redevelopments in, in, in Auckland where they're quadrupling the density of the housing, what they're typically doing is removing one old dwelling and replacing it with four new ones yeah. and so what Ricky does is he sends a truck down and picks up the houses and he's taking them north up to Kaitaia and he's got a trade training scheme up there so he's teaching young Māori who've got into trouble uh, to become sparkies and plumbers and fix the houses up and then they're putting those houses on land up in Kaitaia and assisting uh, households who can't afford normal housing on the normal market through a progressive home ownership product to buy their own home Mm. and when they've paid it off and if they want to they can relocate that home to their own land or they can continue living where they are there and it's just a it's just an amazing example of some of the really cool innovation that's coming out of the community housing sector so, so three, so two or three things with that which come to mind is, yep.
0: first of all, um, the Resource Management Act needed clearly needs to be completely overhauled to enable the – okay, let's take it back even further. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so as, he as, got in
1: terrible trouble for doing course, that, yeah. absolutely, because yeah. he broke all sorts of rules and all sorts yes. of people got noses out of joints because they, yeah. they, they lost sight of what's he actually trying to do here, because he's not trying to make money, I can tell you that much. No, no, no. He's, he's trying to help people get into their home. Let's go back. So yeah. it's, sometimes it feels quite strange being one
0: of the only animals on the planet that needs to pay to live here. Yes. Okay, which is quite a strange <laughs> concept. But also, shelter is a fundamental human right. Yes, it is. You know, and before governments and borders and countries and sovereign states, yes. we made our own shelter. Yes, we did. You know, we made our own shelter, we gathered our own food, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Um, the ability to do that has been slowly taken away from us. Okay. But you know, and there's some good reasons for this, you know, safety and quality of building and all that kind of stuff. Um, but one can't help but think it's mostly neoliberal capitalism that's come along
1: and yeah, yeah. We've got uh, to protect the banks and the insurance companies the and, all and, all and all that kind sort of stuff of thing, and exactly. all that type of thing. Yeah.
0: Um, so, so is it fair to say that that the, the whole Resource Management Act and the whole um, the whole ability to be able to build or Achieve shelter for yourself and your family is something which needs to be looked at at a really fundamental level.
1: Yeah, yeah. Look, there, there, there's a uh, there's a broad range of of uh, policy settings in the system that are a significant impediment to the delivery of affordable housing outcomes. Now, you mentioned earlier Earthsong at Ranui. I I had the pleasure recently of visiting another more modern iteration of exactly that, which is a stunning intentional community, a co-housing community in Christchurch, which has been developed down there. That sort of model, if we start right back apart, uh, um, I'll get to the Resource Management Act, but if we start right back at money, which enables these outcomes, because ultimately you need the construction finance in order to be able to build these dwellings. Mm. Uh, The Reserve Bank and, and, and others have not helped at all because they have such very, very narrow and myopic definitions of what a mortgage security is, and it's based on very conventional... Uh, ideas. So the idea of a co-housing arrangement like Earthsong where you effectively, to, re- to dramatically reduce the cost of the dwellings, because it's a very, very effective and cool way to do housing. You take the land out of the equation, you're almost halving the cost of a home, and that's what they're doing. But current settings within the banks have such a narrow definition of a mortgage security that they disable that beautiful and elegant tool from being able to be rolled out at scale across New Zealand because lenders can't get the sort of security arrangement that they need and want because it's not a conventional one homeowner, one piece of land, one house scenario. People just need to get a little bit more imaginative with their with the the way they want to address this problem and and have a broad range of available solutions. So it starts, yes, with the orthodoxy of financial structures and then regulatory, as you're talking about, the Resource Management Act. Yes, far too constrictive, not designed to enable. Uh, it's, It's sort of based on a deficit model of trying to catch people out for being naughty rather than enabling the desired outcomes that we have as a society if we're going to deliver affordable housing outcomes at scale. So it's almost as if, would you say it's fair, to,
0: it's fair to say there's a paradigm shift which is needed actually not just at the government level, central bank level. Um, also there's a paradigm shift needed in the general population because one thing that's very obvious when you come to New Zealand, especially from Europe, especially if you spent time in, in Scandinavia or Germany or places like that where home ownership is not as much of a priority um, it became really blatantly clear that New Zealand for generations and generations houses are, have been not homes, they've been income investment vehicles and we all know people with multiple houses, I, I know people with Upwards of ten or twelve houses, and you know the capital gains and all of that, and all the loopholes and all of that type of thing, just goes to encourage that process and inflate housing prices. And you, you you become then you you reach the position you get asset bubbles and all of the fallout which comes to that. But that's that's a paradigm shift which is needed in the general
1: population about how they view a house. Yeah, agreed, uh, and it's quite a tricky one because. Um in some ways, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem, and that's a really awkward conversation to have around the dinner table with your mates who've got multiple houses, mm-hmm. uh, because what they are, f- you know, the, 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 they'll they they'll bring out the the oh, I'm providing a service, I'm a landlord, and I'm providing a property into the market. That's all right, available. I
0: hard for my money, I should be able to do. What yeah, I sure, like sure, what yeah, yeah, all affairs, perfectly yeah, rational yeah, yeah.
1: economic arguments, but. We we, we don't live on an island. Well, we do, thankfully, (laughs) at the moment, particularly. Metaphorically, uh, we do. Yeah, yeah. but um, people need to understand that that every extra home that they own is a place that's been taken which might have been taken by someone else. I mean, we still have agencies of the state right now going out and competing with first home buyers because they're not hitting their construction targets buying houses off the open market, competing with first home buyers. So what are they doing doing that? Don't do that. You're driving prices up and you're taking places away from others who might be able to, for the first time in their lives, get, get, get a foot on the equity uplift, which ultimately helps people to transition out of, out of poverty. I mean, if you, if you think about it at the most basic fundamental level, when we're transitioning people, and I agree, home ownership is not for everybody and I would love to see a much larger, more professionally managed, affordable rental stock in the New Zealand market and that's happening, so that's the build to rent phenomenon which is emerging. Unfortunately, what we're seeing widespread evidence of is well capitalised individuals seeing poverty and the housing crisis as yet another opportunity to make more money. That that bugs me, but I'll get over it. You know. Um, uh, But but you know, better the devil you know. It's it's like musical chairs, right? So if you're if you're taking on extra houses um, to increase your property portfolio, you're removing chairs that other 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 people might have 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 been able to sit on. And so if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. And people really do need to start thinking about the role they're playing personally, because we, we we've all if the crisis has got to to such a magnitude and complexity that we all need to get involved in playing the part that we can to address it in whatever capacity we have. Some of us have more capacity than others. Uh, How much profit is enough profit for a property developer before they start thinking about some of that residual profit being applied to community enhancing initiatives such as delivering affordable housing. At the local government level, for example, All over the rest of the world there's a thing called inclusionary zoning, uh, which means that a portion, if you come to me as a property developer and you say I've got a piece of land here I want to turn into 100 houses, will you the local authority give me permission to cut that up into 100 sections just like's happening down the road here at Matakana? Um, and I say as the local authority, yes I will give you permission to turn that one piece of land into 100 pieces of land and build 100 houses but I want you to set aside 15% of those to be affordable houses. So 15% of, of those sections you're going to gift for nothing to the local community housing provider who's going to build community housing, affordable community housing on that. Now the property developers hate it because they think it's a tax but that's operating right now in Queenstown and it's extraordinarily successful. It's the only region in New Zealand that's using inclusion rezoning. This is the whole of the UK runs on inclusion yeah, rezoning, and most New of York. Europe. Yeah, most of Europe. You know, and in New Zealand we've got a very well organised, vocal and well funded property development community that resists that because they see it as an additional tax. But hold on a minute. where, where, where are people going to live? And and if they can't find a place to live, what what effects that gonna have long-term on our society and our communities when we have disenfranchised, alienated people with no stake in their community and no place to call home? I mean, the future is bleak if we keep going down that path. Also, the other thing, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this as well. You know, it's um,
0: the the whole globe has been kicking the neoliberal football down the road for a long time now. And we're coming to the point where pretty much every country in the world is going to be heading towards zero percent interest rates, or even negative interest rates, on a central bank level, just in order to just to prop up the economies in some countries. Um, that's good in some respects, but you, I almost get the feeling there it becomes it's almost like a, a, a monetary apartheid system where you get equitable individuals who can access so property developers organizations who can access huge amounts of money for next to no interest but then you get the you know the the young couple or the family who you know just managed to keep their heads above water and they can't access money at that level because because they're seen as a more risky that's right. investment that's right um so then what then it seems to exacerbate the problem because you go well. Actually, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll mortgage myself to the to the Hilton, Bowl, inc- encourage house inflation because I, I can afford to finance that, mm. and in the process you're you're continuing to, to price people out of the market.
1: Yeah, absolutely right. So this is where I'm. I'm a. Um, have, have you heard of a woman called Kate Rayworth? I've heard of the name. Okay, so she's is she, she, econo- is she an economist. She is. She's, yes, she's, yes, yes. She's um, she's my rock star economist. Yes, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm a raging Kate fan. I, I Kate like ben.
0: Steve. Uh, what's the what's the Australian guy? Steve. Um, anyway it's a similar kind of right. similar property so
1: Kate Kate um, wrote a book called Donut Economics which is a, a concept of a circular economy which is the she did a TED talk didn't she yeah and in fact yes. I had the um, privilege of, of hosting a political debate just before the general election we had um, all the candidates from the major parties and Kate beamed in live from Oxford because she's yeah. she's on staff at both Oxford and Cambridge universities and and she's written um, we won't uh, hold that against her no 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 exactly yeah 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 she's <laughs> overachiever terrible um, I'm a raging um, fan of donut economics, because it's about a circular economy rather than that um, single bottom line financial extractive economy, which is totally unsustainable. I mean, you know, um, we've all, I hope, most of us anyway, have sat in the the science lab at secondary school and put the bacteria into the agar jelly and watched what happens to the agar jelly and what happens to the bacteria, right? Well that's her economic theory. The earth is a closed system. If you keep eating it, you're going to eat yourself to death. We have to be a little bit smarter about the circular economy. And well, you so, can't have an unlimited growth with finite resources. Well, exactly.
0: Yeah,
1: that's it, right? Yeah. So, get with the program because that's neoliberal economics and and basing your your concept of. Success on endless growth, which is GDP, and we're
0: not going to bash. We're not, I'm not, we're not bashing capitalism here
1: because because no, no, no. it
0: because capitalism is, is just uh, has just as much merit as, as you know, if you, any extreme. Let's like you is like
1: Marxism to extreme or capitalism yep. to extreme; they're both as, as poisonous as each other. That's right. So, so money's not morally neutral. It can be used for good or not. And yeah. so, so to answer your question, compassionate on, capitalism. On, yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. I mean, um, we we. we we have some goals in the organisation I'm associated with because we've effectively set up a financial organisation to address the issue you talked about which is you know, payday lenders and the outrageous situation where um, people prey on the, the poor or the working poor who have to pay the most for their money when, when that's just not fair and not right. Yeah. So, so um, we've set up an organisation called Community Finance which has been specifically designed at this point in time to provide lower cost finance on better terms than is available from the banks mm. to community housing providers yeah. so that they can build affordable housing because they're paying less for their money. Because to deliver affordable housing, there's got to be a subsidy somewhere in the value chain or multiple subsidies from the point of purchasing the land, developing the infrastructure, building the houses and and, and running the finances to pay the rent or the mortgage. And so um, that's working really, really well, I'm pleased to say. And so what we're finding is increasing levels of interest from large-scale holders of capital to do good with their money. It's back to the point of money not being morally neutral, right? There's this, there's this mega trend globally as people realise the flaws in, in neoliberal economics. Having, having believed in the sort of trickle-down theory for years, they're now seeing it's bullshit. And they are now putting their money where their mouth is in ever larger quantities. So there's a global phenomenon called impact investment which has just started kicking in at scale here in the New Zealand context. And so last year we took that for a test drive. Um, uh, we, 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 we've got a, a thing I like to call a village wine press, which is like a machine that we've built which other people can use, because there's lots of people good at growing grapes, but not everybody has to own the village wine press, right? And then yeah. they can go away and make their wine as well. And so yeah,
0: like they do in France or exactly York for
1: years. Exactly, so yeah. our, our, our village wine press just happens to be a financial securitisation instrument which produces bonds, which we sell to the financial markets, and then we lend that money as debt, but cheap debt, to community organisations to help them do what they it's do. It's like a
0: bit of renegade economics going on there. Well,
1: it's a little bit of Robin Hood. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so that's working really well. So last year we raised $40 million for the Salvation Army to build 118 new homes in Auckland to get homeless people off the streets, and that went really, really well. And so we've just gone back out to the market with a thing we're calling the Aotearoa Pledge, which is 100 million for community housing providers. And we opened that on Monday last week. We've already raised 20 million in one week. So that's going really, really well. So, what we're seeing is and who's, who's buying that? Who's investing in that? Those are people like KiwiSaver funds and high net worth individuals and uh, philanthropic trusts and foundations. And, and, know, all,
0: and, and this, there, there is starting, thankfully, to become lots of global pressure on investment. And trusts to start investing in ethical. Right. Now there's plenty of greenwashing yeah, going on. Yeah, right. yeah, let's not yeah, yeah. kid ourselves, right? Oh, and they're yeah.
1: relabeling old products. That, yeah. That don't get don't get
0: me started on the term, you know, um, sustainable housing. You know, right. or or, or eco house because that's just yeah. Let's let's talk about that some other yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it. So one of the things you just said there, which was also interesting, is um, okay. We can all identify with disenfranchised communities um, needing help and support to get housing the other thing which is very palpable in recent years especially walking around in Auckland is the huge increase in homelessness yes and without a shadow of a doubt mental illness and all of those type of things is a big factor in that yes okay and what i find really interesting is looking uh, specifically with work that's been done in the states and lots of places in europe where for decades, it w- for decades and decades, there was the mindset that, OK, look, we've got somebody here who's vulnerable, they have mental health issues, so we'll just put them in a hostel and we'll help them do this and try and get them some support workers. And we've been trying to do that for, for decades and it's not worked. Interestingly, I, I, I see some examples where they've actually gone, no, fundamentally, we need to get somebody a secure, stable house. Yeah. Once we've done that, then let's help them with their mental health issues, That's their right. employability, their training, yep. and that has shown phenomenal results around the world. Yeah,
1: and it, it's, it's um, now operating through the community housing sector at scale in New Zealand. It's called Housing First is the, yep. is, is the, yeah, is the philosophy, and, and, and it's operating really, really well in the New Zealand context, primarily delivered by a group of leading community housing providers. One of the problems we've got at the moment which is unhelpful in that regard and which was accelerated and amplified by the COVID response is that in in an an appropriate and urgent effort to get people off the streets we've started putting them into motels which is not an appropriate place for anyone to live any time for any length of time. And so it's that's a very temporary band-aid to a significant problem which you've you've identified in terms of, of, of homelessness. And our aim is to make homelessness brief and non-recurrent and, and rare through utilising housing first. But in terms of doing housing first properly, you have to have the hardware as well as the software. The hardware is an appropriate dwelling, permanent dwelling for someone to live in long term and we just haven't got the supply of those of that hardware, of those dwellings. The second element you've referred to is all the other wraparound services that go alongside that, the software, that make the hardware work. You know, I give an example of uh, someone who was homeless who, who popped up on the radar in Rotorua who was uh, presented, uh, was homeless, was, was told, we've found you a, a house, was, had, a, had a plastic shopping bag of all, all her worldly goods, was told where the house was, was given a bus ticket to go to Napier, arrived at the house, um, just a disaster waiting to happen. No support services, and, and as far as the government agency was concerned, they'd done their job, right? They've taken a homeless person, they've given them a house, everything's fine now. Yeah. No, not fine at all. They turned up homeless again because they had no idea even how to be a resident in a the house. They had been homeless for years. What do you do? What's you know? How do you operate a, a, a washing machine and a, and and you know? Just the basics were missing. So the hardware on its own is not good enough, and and, and those two things uh, combined can deliver really really good outcomes. But we've got to have the supply of both. I think.
0: That's a really interesting example of. It's so easy for us in our relatively stable mental states um, for us to view people like that as lost causes. We just think, oh, you know, they've got a mental illness, they've got issues in their life. You know, they're always going to be like that. There's not much we can do about that. Mm. Um, Absolute nonsense, oh, it's though. Yes, I mean, I, nonsense, I, say,
1: yeah. I like like with 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 Moana, he Moana here, a photograph of a woman. Uh, uh, one particular person, I won't name her because it's uh, just for privacy reasons. But she she turned up at his marae homeless. She, in five years, that was two sixteen. Now she's in a New Zealand Housing Foundation progressive home ownership home, uh, fully employed with her children, uh, and owns sixty percent of her house with a mortgage from the bank, yeah. and needs no assistance from anyone. She didn't. She just needed a hand up. Yeah. That's all she needed. She just, she, 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 some life events had happened, yeah. and she found herself through, through no fault of her own homeless, and she's off now. She's, she's independent, and she's away and running, and, and I love that, because that gives hope.
0: Yeah, I mean, all, I think uh, in London, I, I had exp- my father suffered from, um, he was bipolar, and suffered from you know, mental health issues, more aggressive towards the end of his life, I guess. Uh, this was the east end of London and so you know I saw pretty pretty firsthand some full-on extremities of people struggling with that but what was very heartwarming is actually seeing people coming in you know you'd you'd get somebody coming in who had a nervous maybe they might have been bipolar to an extent all of their life but it was always fairly manageable but then some life event happened whether it was a divorce or a loss of a spouse or something like that sent them into a tailspin living on the street um, and the, these people were functional members of society, yep. Yep. Uh, and through no fault of their own, they find themselves. In a, and they're not looking for a handout, like yep. you say. All we're looking, all they were looking for, was some, some
1: equitable opportunity. That's a to just to just help them get back on their feet again. Yeah, and there's something profound about the stability and security of a place to call home. It's a shelter. Uh, to, you, know? th- you can then start to address the chaos of the other things that are going on in your life from that base, from that anchor. Yeah,
0: well, you know, it, it's, it, um, not so long ago, we needed our shelter to, 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 to guide ourselves against the saber-toothed tigers and keep us out of the elements. And that's still fundamentally yep. there in our DNA. It does. And so psychologically, without shelter, without somewhere we, where we can put a root down, we it's difficult for us to be a, Productive. I, mean, I don't like the word productive because it has economics tied to it. But a uh, uh, valued and... Yeah, thriving members thriving of the community. That's that's a, that's a, a, thank you, that's the word I was yeah, looking yeah, for. Yeah, so,
1: so we had Leilani uh, Fahi come out from the United Nations last year as the special ra- ra- rapporteur on housing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've really taken a, a human rights-based approach to housing yeah. off, off the back of that visit. It was quite helpful in terms of clarifying our our national position on this, because I've, I've been quite recently and visited numerous households, uh, and you would be shocked if, I mean, the average person would be absolutely shocked to know that a lot of our fellow citizens in New Zealand live with dirt floors, with no electricity, with no running water, and with no sanitation in 2021. Uh, that's the reality for people. And they're not complaining, because that's their reality and they live with that. Uh, would, would, would their lives and the lives of their children be significantly improved and their prospects to realise their potential be significantly improved mm-hmm. from having a proper dwelling yes yes, it would yeah. um, and I think there comes a point where we have to say that's not acceptable anymore mm. um, and what are we going to do about it, we together and I, I think we over rely sometimes on, on as Kiwis we go oh it's a big problem let's all point at Wellington right Where's the solution coming from government? No, 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 no. We're all in this together. Everybody's got to play their role as communities, as, as workers, as citizens, as, as um, organisations, as companies, as investors, as property owners. And yes, the government's got a role to play as well. But the problem is way too big. I mean, their balance sheet isn't, doesn't come close to the shortfall, and we've got 22,000 people on the social housing waiting list at the moment. Mm. I can oh t- yeah,
0: we have to be realistic, there's yep. no way central government can fund a massive social housing program. That's too big. It's too big, so yep. what you're saying is we have to put vehicles and, and legislation and more carrots rather than sticks in yes. place for for innovation
1: uh, participation for the free market that's right this to, to to actually see value in doing this that's right and local governments involved as well but the, even they are hamstrung because i mean local government technically is responsible for infrastructure right yeah. pipes roads wires yeah, well, well, they, they don't have the 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 income mechanisms to pay for that stuff so the government right now is writing hundreds of millions of dollars of checks to, to fix the pipes and do the water and do the wires and do the roads to enable the housing outcomes because local governments can't afford that stuff. And, and, and we're seeing constraints and perverse unintended consequences all over the country as a result of, of, of their inability to, to, to finance these things.
0: Mm. Paul, what what I think I mean, this has been one of those great meandering organic rambles, <laughs> but I think we've got, a, it's been really interesting meeting you and talking, you know, understanding a little bit of the work you do and some of the interesting things that are going on, and, you know, we could sit here for another six hours and, and meander, but I think if you're, up, if, you're, if you're up for it at some future day, I'd, I'd, I'd love to get together with you regularly, regularly and maybe perfect. take one specific topic perfect, or area and then we'll discuss that in length. Um, but what I am interested in before before I let you head off to, to, to Waitangi, um, is do you feel optimistic? Yeah. And should we be feeling optimistic about it? Because yeah. you know sometimes it's quite easy
1: to get overwhelmed by overwhelmed the, and yeah. a bit despondent about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Look, uh, I do. Um, we we we've sort of re-entered the year. Uh, last year was a was an absolute roller coaster. Twenty twenty and lots of unexpected um, things happened but uh, yeah certainly re-entering the year with renewed hope and optimism and there's a few reasons for that Um, but one of the most profound is that I think people's sense of priorities have shifted with COVID in terms of what really matters and it's in a good direction people as in population the general, as a whole. Popula- the general yeah. population okay. uh, you know no one's immune to this it doesn't matter if you're the Prime Minister the Minister of Finance the Minister of Housing or, 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 or Joe blogs on the street um, mm. there's a there's a I think there's a there's a, a an awakening has occurred a consciousness and an awakening of what really matters and that that is has has Allowed people to refocus on the local and on the on on the importance of community and on the importance of connectedness, and on the importance of taking personal responsibility, and being involved in a bigger bigger picture than just me mine, and, and um, into ours, uh, and that that is the vehicle upon which. Uh, many and diverse solutions to this problem because there's no one, there, there is no, no one answer to this. Yeah. There are hundreds and hundreds of initiatives all over the country that if we can enable and support and activate and energise and finance are going to turn the ship around. Now we're, we're frantically pulling on the wheel at the moment and we're, it's a big ship so we're not, we're not really seeing the movement that we all hope and want yet. But I feel that there's been an awakening and that gives me tremendous hope. I'm, I'm, I'm finding uh, doors I, I have been knocking on for a long time with this message are starting to fall open where they were firmly shut before. And that's with large orthodox organisations like churches and banks and investment houses and government departments and local government uh, agencies. There's, there seems to be this realisation of housing as a an activator of a whole when it's done well an activator of a whole lot of wonderful outcomes in a broad range of areas health mental health wealth well-being social cohesion so i i i I, I feel i feel really optimistic about 2021 yeah
0: and and i think i'm 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 as optimistic as you in many ways um Maybe slightly less so because I'm not so aware of the projects and the work that's going on. But definitely, um, I'm aware of the fact that we can no longer measure the, 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 the health of the nation through its gross domestic product, its GDP. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, in fact, I think I was talking with uh, Maya Lubeck, the Labour MP, and she made a really interesting point that uh, if you take two, two individuals, one, uh, one in employment with his family, and then one person who's very badly ill and requiring lots of hospital treatment, the ill person generates more GDP than the, bel- the well person. That's right. I mean I'm not saying we should, we should all suddenly become where is it? Is it Bhutan, where they do the The growth, the gross happiness products. Yes. They measure their nation's yeah. success by the happiness of their people.. Yeah. Um, I think we're a way we're away off that, but certainly I th- it feels like we're heading in the right direction slowly. Yeah,
1: yeah absolutely right, absolutely right. And, and I'd love to share some of the um, stories, more stories and examples with you yeah. of those beacons of hope that we just need to amplify and, and, and um, expand. Hmm. Uh, because if we, f- you know, I used to teach people to ski in, in, in places with lots of trees. Right. And, and I think of, it's a good analogy for the housing crisis, right? We, we're kind of going down the hill and we've got, a, we've got some serious speed wobbles on and, and there's the potential for a disaster. Yeah. And I always said to people, when you're feeling nervous and you're in the trees, whatever you do, don't look at the trees. If you look at the trees, you'll hit them. Yeah. You've got to look at the gap. Yeah. And for us, the gap and the hope is the, the good things that are happening we've done enough talking and writing reports about the problems which are the trees and we don't want to smack into a tree because that really hurts so let's let's start celebrating the success stories and the things that are working well and let's amplify those and do more of those more often So look, just before
0: you head off um... If people want to learn more about some of the things that you've talked about, how, how can they find out, you know, before we get together and, and put the world right again, yeah. um,
1: how can they do that? Yeah, okay, so the, the um, key resources, there's, there's two key peak bodies nationally for for the work that we're all doing together. Um, the first one is Community Housing Aotearoa, which has got a, a fabulous and rich and deep website with all sorts of documents and all sorts of things on there. Um, So some of the key things that they'd be wanting to look at is go to the um, Community Housing Aotearoa website, read some of the things like the recent briefing to the incoming Minister of Housing um, that's on the front page there and things like that. Those are really good introductory documents just to get a sense of what's going on in the system at the moment. The other uh, key area to look at is uh, Te Matapihi, which is the peak body for Māori providers, is also another really good resource and, 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 and a good introduction to the sector. These are all, these providers who are at the forefront of, of delivering these solutions are all well-known names to you. Um, you know, it's like Habitat for Humanity and Salvation Army. There's a 100 providers across the country. Um, and so they're operating at scale and they've all got their own websites and their own particular uh, approaches. But, but that's a really good place to start.
0: Paul, thanks for your time, buddy. Awesome. And um, another time again.
1: Yeah, I look forward to it. Yeah, awesome. Okay, cheers.